Jack Oatway. And I'm Jay Oatway. Welcome to Like Dragon Like Sun. Welcome to Like Dragon Like Sun. Another episode today. We have some interesting character builds to talk to you about. But uh, before we get into that, I just want to ask how uh, how are you doing in terms of D&D in your day-to-day? Um, yeah, my D&D schedule's gotten full again. What can I say? It's mm. uh, I'm back up to, to three games. Uh, for those of you listening overseas and in other places, we live in Hong Kong where our social distancing has been relaxed because we've done a really good job of fighting the old COVIDs. Um, so I've got two games where I'm actually sitting at the table oh, wow. with yeah. real people rolling real dice again, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. And I've got one online game because some people that I'm playing with live in other countries and that's fun too. Um, so yeah, I'm D and D rich right now. How about you? Um, I'm, I'm also fairly D and D rich, although I have no real set campaigns. We're just sort of playing one shots here and there. Although there's a hope that some of the games we're playing go a little bit more long term. but, um, yeah, we're playing fairly regularly in on a couple of days here and there with my friend group. Didn't you uh, have a PVP with, uh, some friends? Ah, yes. Yeah. Well, those are all, it's, it's. PvP D&D. It's not real D&D. So, but, uh, tell me a bit about the PvP. What? So, for those of you at home player who have not player. Uh, played this before, uh, PvP is player versus player, and you try to kill each other, which is, you know, not your standard D&D, but mm-hmm. fun anyways. What level were you guys? Uh, we were all level 10. Yeah. Some people chose to multi-class. I did not. I just went for the, the cheesy druid build where you summon things in wild shape and get out of out of line of sight and out of range of everyone. I, I know there's going to be attack. people out there in Radio Land listening to this who are going to disagree with me, but uh, you chose the best class for player versus player combat. There is mm. no tougher class uh, than the Druid. They are they are the best tanks. They are the most complicated class, in my opinion. And they, uh, yeah, I think as long as you uh, as long as you can figure out ways to use their wild shape to your advantage mm-hmm. uh they're gonna be really really hard to beat yeah well that being said i was defeated but only until damage metrics were busted and everything went times two and someone rolled a very good fireball against me but so the, the dm doubled the damage output yeah, just to speed things up before lunch you know this is a casual game we're not serious D players we're just having fun but Yes. Yeah, no, I, th- I had Double a great damage time. fireball sounds horrible. Lots of laughs, you know, um, funny moments that aren't necessarily rules as written, but not everything has to be rules as written when you're playing D&D, especially with PvP. Yes, it does. No, um, if you, if you don't play by the rules, what's the point? <laughs> Speaking of which, let's break some rules today. Let's break some rules. Are, we'll, are we breaking rules or are we no, following the rules to a very close margin so, to try to break I think it's more them. fun following the rules to their tra- to their nth and, degree and then yeah. trying to mess with them exactly. just a little bit exactly um i once i, I remember long ago uh, an english professor uh saying that uh free form poetry was like playing ten- tennis with the net down the idea that putting rules into place 
made it more beautiful because you had to work harder to try and get everything to fit into the space. Mm. And I think that's the same with D and think I think playing by the rules makes your characters more beautiful. Some rules can be, I feel like are too restricting. And when players have a really like idea, like a really potent idea in their mind for a weapon or for a character concept, or for a racial ability or for ability they have, they should beg their DM for it. No, they, they should, should just, they should ask that kindly to the DM and if the DM agrees, then great. And if they don't, then save it for another time. Yeah. Don't pest like them over and over and over and over. Hey, can I have yeah, this? No, can I have should, this? You should definitely bug them a lot. No, no, no. You should no, like no. message them no. three or message four times every night. Message um, them once. If you can for, try it First out. thing in the morning. Make your case there and then with how much and show how much you really into the idea and how much you've been thinking about it. And uh, you should make a DM a, will either say no or yes, but. You should build a beautiful PDF with proper like sort of uh, like the D&D old paper, make it look like the, something out of the player's handbook. Use like, you know, GM Binder or one of those places to create a beautiful uh, artwork for your Honestly, yeah, your if magic I was DMing item. and you did that for me, I would let you have it. Just, yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, if you go the extra mile and make it super pretty, um, you know, balance it, test it out on Reddit, put it up there, see if anybody likes it or hates it, stress test it, and then, yeah, ask your DM for it. And then when your DM says no, don't, cry and don't complain no you definitely cry <laughs> definitely guilt them like let them see the tears or yeah. no 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 we're all joking here but the way you're supposed to do it is well no there is no real way to supposed to do it but i would i would just have an open communication communication yeah, is key right. find a balance with your dm make them comfortable to have it in your possession and so that it doesn't break games and like we've talked about in podcasts, make other people feel feel inferior or whatever. And the bottom line is communication. Just get yeah. to a point where you can both agree on on it not being too powerful, but still being a cool item and a cool novelty to have as your character. You know that really fleshes them out and is important. Maybe to the story, maybe not, but just something that really defines your character and is a, a cool moment. There could be a build up to it. It could be just immediate, but whatever it is, just communicate with your DM first. And if you. If you can demonstrate to it with your DM, maybe, you know, this people you've played together with for months, years, maybe years. Um, if you guys keep having lots of conversations about D&D, like the same way that you and I are sitting here in this podcast talking about D&D, it's very likely that the whole collaborative storytelling idea will start to you'll start to work together to riffing off each other and thinking oh yeah that is a cool idea and and it's not just about like buffing your character it's about trying to come up with like a cool idea that fits into the story and the dm can can help you create some you know dramatic uh, effect with that so yeah talk to your dm about cool items that round out your characters uh just you know fun things we're going to talk about some we're going of those to talk about today. some weapons we're going to talk some cool weapons cool that weapon fall ideas. within the range like would fall within rules as written maybe a little pushing it a little bit so yeah that but not it's in not in favor, the but not in a way that's so so op that yeah, not in the way that say, you need a 10 busted. page document to explain that's busted, man. how you collect souls with your whatever edgy yeah, listen, item whatever given you know, how but, wackadoodle so much of the stuff coming out of ua unearth arcana these days this is Look, just our stuff is rule tweaks. our stuff is so mild in just comparison. Think, like even like small table rule small like, table rules stuff, like, fixed stuff tiny stuff 
stuff. Uh, or just but like let stuff work together. I think we're going to start by talking about the, our fisherman idea. I love this um, character, the fisherman. The fisherman, who's a bit of a, um, a hurry-burger, and we've made him so a yeah, so like, sea I think, dwarf. So yeah, imagine the Swedish chef. Right, yeah. Um, but instead of in a, in a chef's outfit... In a fisherman, in a fisherman old, yeah, like fishing boat, sort of, you know, the the rain gear sort of type with the old fashioned hat, sort of that sort of covers his eyes, and all you sort of see is his nose and like sort of big, sort of bright colored beard, sort of blonde beard, sort of sticking out, sort of the bottom of it, and um, and yeah, I like the idea of a sea dwarf. That that that's a fun idea. Mm. We don't see a lot of sea dwarves. Uh, we talk, usually talk hills and mountains. Um, basically, we just took the hill dwarf. We just took the hill dwarf race, and, and we it's just more of a background thing. Yeah, just kind of played with the story a little. Mm. Um, I don't think we even made any alterations to the race. It's just nope, basically nope. Just used it and just, just basically said it a sea dwarf. Just yeah. calling him a sea dwarf instead, um, which is I think a lovely idea, um, and. Uh, and I think that what I really wanted to do with this character idea was find a way to use the net. Yeah. And this, if any the big idea have, for here is the net weapon. Yeah. yeah. So if any of you have ever tried to look at, the, at having a net, and you might have thought for like five seconds, hey, that's a cool idea. And then you'd read it and go, and go yeah, no, God, that's not a cool idea. Awful. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't read it, here's, here's the big problem with the net. It's got a range of five feet throw it any farther than that you're throwing with disadvantage also if you decide to attack with the net it doesn't matter how many attacks you have that turn you only get to do the one it's essentially the loading property and then once you throw it of course you got to kind of go and get it back it can kind of get wrecked uh, lots of things can go wrong with it it does no damage mm-hmm. um, and but it uh, it has a nice uh, some extra properties though. A- anything that's large or smaller is restrained uh, once it's hit. So um, the thing about this is it's it's mm, doesn't scale in terms of how powerful this is going to be. No, because it's only a DC ten strength check and to get out of it. So if, some if it's things huge or gargantuan, it just don't. It doesn't even matter. There's no way you're taking the Tarasque down with this. Exactly. Thing. And so I suppose we can read it out here. There's always like all martial weapons, it's um, or any sort of weapon in general, proficiency with the net allows you to add your proficiency bonus to the attack roll, which is hard to get. Not many people get proficiency with the net. And so that's where we like bended the rules because we didn't have any source. Bended? Uh, bent. Bended. <laughs> bent the rules um, is we had our background give us proficiency in the net, even though that's not something that backgrounds typically do, but it was a sort of a sacrifice. Well, giving backgrounds, up a tool actually, backgrounds to actually give ourselves do. The, net. Um, the idea was that the, well, the gladiator, the gladiator does, but we're not went. a gladiator. No, but, but the, the player's handbook is pretty straight up clear. The saying, Hey, look, you can make custom backgrounds. And without going crazy, we borrowed one piece of the gladiator background and we got proficiency in the yeah, net. Yeah, and then threw a couple other things in there uh, that's more of a sailor background. So we sort of combined sailor and gladiator together, almost basically just to get the net proficiency. 
And that's it. That's only the only real tweak that we did there. So again, not terribly hugely breaking the rules to gain proficiency. I suppose As, in the like he's yeah. a fighter after all. I mean, like it's well, there you like, go. That's that's the cow to the back. Our class we chose here is a fighter, and so at the gate we have a fighting style, and I believe we chose archery, which is I think one of the funniest. <laughs> choices right um, and but we chose that because title, we wanted we wanted the bonus a plus, at, two, yeah. a plus two bonus at throwing the net no it's not a bonus to attack rolls it's a bonus to damage now the net deals two damage uh you actually sorry if you take archery you get plus two to hit is it plus two to hit or plus yeah. two to damage I'm pretty it's sure just plus two to hit hmm. uh yeah i don't always oh, do attack rolls you're right very right. And i, I don't i don't see the and i don't think the net I mean, at least not on D&D Beyond, it doesn't actually get a damage. Like, it never, it never says it does damage. And you're right. Then the question could be, could we, could we add some damage in? Um, um, and surprisingly, there's a feat out there, I'm sure many of you maybe are thinking of it right now, that would give us damage on our net. And we'll get that to that in a second. We'll get to feats that we've chosen. But um, what subclass do we choose for this? Uh, when Eldritch Knight. Mm, and we're playing this up to sort of sixth level because we want uh we there's a nice little eldritch knight feature uh called weapon bond uh which allows you to perform a one-hour ritual to create a magical bond between yourself and one weapon once completed you can't be disarmed of the weapon unless you're incapacitated and you can summon it as a bonus action to your hand so the idea with this was that okay we could throw the net and then as a bonus action, we could recover the net by summoning it back to us. If we miss it or yeah. if a creature is captured by it. Now then there's the whole, there's the question. <laughs> there's there. a bit of a question about whether that's legit or not. Um, so yeah, so the theoretical idea behind this, since you can summon it to your hand, if it's on the same plane as you, would it bring something back with it? Again, this is a talk to your DM moment. If, if you would allow that, if you could allow the net to when you summon it to bring back something within it to you as a fisherman that's super cool it's a very cool idea yeah uh super duper cool uh yeah we've also gone and we needed to buff the net a little bit because if it breaks that sucks and it's very easy to break it yeah the thing's got like an ac of 10 or something and, and like five you can chop at it whatever, yeah, yeah like it's pretty easy for people to shred your your weapon which kind of sucks i mean there's no other weapon in the game where that can just be destroyed that's so clearly written like oh yeah hey here's how you wreck my bow here's how you wreck my sword you know like even though theoretically you could break both a bow and a sword we never talk about doing that in the game they sort of just are durable mm. whereas we've we given ourselves a like, net of mending or a net of like repairing or a net that doesn't isn't destroyed upon being broken free from, you know. Yeah, we would still let people break free from it, mm. right? We'll let that rule stay, but then on the following turn, it could mend itself. Exactly, and so you don't just immediately lose your net yeah. after one one go. person free like frees himself from it, yeah. you know. Um, so just a way to make it so the net isn't so just destructible and like oh, that was a waste of three GP, you know. On a net. Well, not even that. Like, I mean, how many nets are you going to haul around with you? Exactly. And they're he or heavy, and they're... Uh, or is it... They're, they're one GP, but they're three pounds, you know? Like, yeah, it's supposed to that bad. But, I mean, still, crazy idea. You want to... You don't want to have to to, to Lug deal around with all the, of these. You want and I don't think any DM wants to have to contend with the, okay, how many nets do you have left question? I mean, don't make me ask that as a DM. That's just crazy. 
um, I, I'm happy to have my monsters sort of fight out of them and then for you to be able to recover your net and keep going at it again. I think that's fine. Especially if fun. you're like an Eldritch Knight with the bonded net, I would just give it to you as a DM. Like just saying, if you're going to go this far just for this like idea, you could easily just be going Hexblade, whatever, Eldritch Blast, 4d10. Yeah. Like, well, you, but you're and, going with the and net. I, I, and I commend any fighter who goes with the net because they're giving up their extra attacks, mm-hmm. which is also ridiculous, but it's a net. So that's fun. Um, I like the idea. I did. We did kind of like the idea, though, that, um, and again, this we'd have to be able to bend it, bend the rules, of, or I guess it'd be the following turn. So if somebody's restrained in the net and you summon them back, and then as a, as a good fisherman type folk, you would then just like hit them with a stick or something, mm-hmm. like, a, like a bludgeoning them like they were a fish that you were hauling into the boat. That's the idea, right? Mm-hmm. That was the idea, yeah. But we've even taken as the our Eldritch Knight the shocking grasp cantrip. Oh, that's fun. And so what yeah. we do is, as our action, we throw out the net. Bonus action, bring it back to us. Following and then turn, zap. Act, well, or even action surge and uh, oh, zap yeah, there it you with go. Your, action surge zap. Or we use our anchor, which is just a light hammer. We also we also took to the hit, oh, we also took twice. the cantrip uh, mending as well. Mm, so yeah. if the net. Does doesn't break. mend itself exactly you can spend we a minute can, to mend yeah it. if the dm's not crazy about the net doing that then you can just use your own mending spell exactly there cool. you go rules is written um, um i also like the idea of of taking the catapult spell mm. and using the net as your object that you're chucking at somebody but then you're probably going to break it because it does have hit points yeah and that and the catapult thing does do damage to the but it's just a good way for if like, the, there right, you go goodbye net taking Dealing 3d8 and sacrificing you go mend it afterwards. And then you go mend it afterwards. Exactly. Summon it back to you. Mend um, it. We also got other things like shield. And um, I think snare was the most fun one. Yeah. And we wanted well, to set that up like very sort of thematic. Setting up the, the net to snare people with as a part of your this is the character. This is the character that's all about catching people. Using that fisherman background idea as the main driver for the character. This is a silly character. This is a fun character for a fun campaign. This is not a serious, you know, dark mega adventure character. This is a, this is definitely a having fun, goofy mm-hmm. sort of adventure uh, character. Exactly. Um, We've given him a little bit of armor. We've given him Mariner's Leather, which felt um, reasonable, uncommon for a six level character. If your DM isn't happy with you having magic items at the gate, then maybe don't put this on your list right away. But just something to keep in mind, maybe to look for or to get. Um, is the Mariner's Leather. Uh, While wearing this armor, you have a swimming speed. It just gives you swimming speed as a fisher, which is not bad. Um, And rising to the surface if you hit zero hit points underwater. So you don't drown. Yeah. I mean, I think the... I think we need to look at the the feet, though. What makes... Mm, This this is what makes this viable. So what makes it work is... Because throwing five feet is so useless. Mm. Um, We need to be a little less useless. So... Well, we did had took archery to get better at throwing it. Uh, to take that up to the next level, we took sharpshooter. We took the sharpshooter feet. And I know it doesn't seem like a <laughs> sharpshooter thing to throw a net, but rules is written, long range doesn't impose disadvantage. So guess what? You can now throw the net 15 feet. Um, That's right. Pretty exciting, actually. And in theory, you could take a minus five to the attack roll mm-hmm. and do 10 points of bludgeoning damage. If you want to do some bludgeoning damage, that's the way to do it. Um, so you could do that. You could actually make the net do some damage at 15 feet. 
Exactly. I think another feat you could take later on is the Martial Adept and maybe take the Lunging Attack. I'm not sure if you... This could be broken if it does say melee, so I'm just going to check that quickly. Um, lunging. No, no, never mind. It is a melee weapon attack, so that wouldn't work. But in concept, trying to increase the range of your your weapon attacks. The bugbear wouldn't work either. I've looked at that. It also just works on melee. But trying to get it out to 20 feet even would be your typical thrown weapon, which is weird that a ranged weapon... This is the ranged weapon with the shortest distance yeah. in the game. It only goes 5 feet at short range and 15 feet at long range. So yeah, even at 15 feet, it's a pretty close-in mm. weapon to throw at somebody. Um, and and obviously the... You know, the the designers behind this, you know, they're, there's a reason why this thing is capped. Like people are, are like, they're fearful of a character being able to restrain so easily yeah. restrain an enemy. Um, and that, yeah, definitely is going to burn that enemy's turn trying to get free. Uh, they can deal some damage to it. They can make a strength check. They do whatever, but... Mm -hmm. They can't move. Their speed is zero. Uh, attack rolls against the creature have disadvantage, and they have disadvantage on attack rolls while restrained. And no, they have disadvantage on deck saves. Tech attack rolls on the creature restrained have creature advantage. have advantage. And then yeah, the yeah. creature who's restrained has disadvantage. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, playing this fisherman character is definitely, as part of a, a larger party, mm. you can make life really good. For, for your whole party for a lot of your party members even if you don't can't summon the thing back to you in the net if you can chuck it at something and everybody else can whack away or shoot at it or whatever with advantage and it's wasting its turn getting on the net and once it does come out of the net you can summon it back to your hands mm -hmm. that's pretty awesome exactly. uh, now i've been looking at some fun nets because in in D, D Beyond, whenever they make these whole sort of plus one weapons that apply to everything, um, it sort of shows up even in some of the weirdest weapons like nets. And Explorers Got to Wildmount introduced the Corpse Slayer weapons and the weapon of certain death weapons, which applied to all and were typically for longswords or warhammers, but there is a net version of each of these. And so I thought I'd read out what the Corpse Slayer net does. <laughs> Corpse Slayer net. Okay. It's a plus so is, one to attack and damage this rolls. This rules is written in Rules is written Mount? in Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. Okay. There's a Corpse Slayer net. Okay. You get a plus one to attack and damage rolls, so it's a plus one weapon. This is rare, requires attunement, so good for your person focusing on the net. When you hit an undead creature with an attack using this weapon, the attack deals an extra 1d8 damage of the weapon's type. So, you do so the net kind of goes over it and zaps the zombie. <sighs> yeah, or doesn't zap it, bludgeons it real hard. Yeah, it bludgeons it harder. But only to undead creatures. And the creature has disadvantage on saving throws against effects that turn undead until the start of your next turn. So this is, imagine, like a holy... The holy... It the burns! Holy it burns! Net. The net goes over top of the, the zombie and it's like, ouch! Hmm. You, know, it, you know, you sort of... I mean, it's not like there isn't examples in stories where, you know, I think in like True Blood or things like that, they'd make nets out of silver or whatever that they could you know, put over a vampire that would like burn and restrain them sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, I, I can sort of see where Corpse Slayer, it's just such a big name. Corpse Slayer. Corpse for a, Slayer net. For a net that doesn't do anything. That does damage. 1d8 bludgeoning damage. I guess it does 1d8 now. So now it does the same as a mace or your, most of your, your weapons, you know, that are sort of mid-tier. One-handed longsword does the same amount of damage as that. Yeah. So I guess, you know, what at the, the sort of, message in the message here 
apart from, hey, go try to do something cool with the net, is just go try and do something cool with a weird weapon. Mm. Like, imagine something for a character and think, hmm, how would, you know, how would I do this? Instead of min-maxing and choosing the most efficient, most damaging weapon you possibly can, instead think, okay, well, there'll be somebody else in the party that'll do that for sure. So what could I pick? What else can I go out there Mm. and have a character do that's unusual or weird now if you really want to help out your party with the net and this is the ultimate sort of net if you want to be like helping your party and not focusing on dealing damage then here's the weapon of certain death net wow it is rare but doesn't require attunement and when you damage a creature with an attack using this magic net so you have to hit it with the sharpshooter unfortunately the target can't regain hit points until the start of your next turn Okay, I mean, this was good for against trolls and things that regenerate and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Anything that tries to heal in your net, it's sure. prevented from fighting being Strahd and yeah. that, that'll help. Trying or... to regenerate? Nope. Nope. Well, are trolls huge? No. Uh, well, are they large? They're large. If they're for, huge. They're at least large for sure. Then you can't hit them with the net. But So yeah. this is very situational. And that's another thing but... as well, just the, that you are limited in, in the in creatures you can, you can hit, attack. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and it's funny that, you know, you, you cap out it. You can't do something large, but then it doesn't give you bonuses if it's small or tiny. Mm. You know what I mean? Anyways. Yeah. Wait, what other weapons? We, another, we were going to talk about uh, the polearm today as we're well. We're going to talk about we? the polearm as well on the line of weird and wacky Yeah, a lot of people don't choose polearms, right? Polearms, yeah. Because, you know, you don't want to be that character hands, in, in the know? tavern with, you know, walking around with a 15-foot mm pole and i felt that way for a long time but i i like poles now i, I think pole and, arms are and very again, this cool. is this is one again if you're a dm and you're like Ugh, i'm just sick of my character my players having to deal with this 15 foot pole simple magical touch to allow the pole to shrink down into a small one foot baton that they can carry on their belt when mm. with a bonus action they can enlarge it into a full-size pole arm. Done. Just an idea there. Just like that. But if Simple you, table rule and it's fixed. If you want some pole arms, uh, we're look, specifically looking at weapons that have the reach weapon, uh, which are most pole arms, but also have some other things which typically aren't included in yes. that. Yes. So that what we're looking for on this one, whereas in, with the net, we were going for the fact that just, it was strained. Exactly. Just right? focusing so the, on that. The yeah. cool thing about pole arms is the reach. And the reach on them can be... 10 feet or it's up 10 to 15? No, there's no that none, there, none of them give 15. But we are going to get to a way where we can hit something up to 20 feet away using one of these right. pole arms. Okay, so we've got 10 foot pole or 10 foot reach of their pole arm, which is already already good. If More you than do most, tactical maps yeah. with minis, you'll know that a 10 foot reach is, is huge. That's fantastic. It allows you a big space around your character that you can hit. Mm. So, and um. So you have a character that... Mm, yeah, I have a cavalier. A cavalier. Now, why do we choose cavaliers? Uh, I just choose cavalier because it really takes advantage of opportunity attacks and things being within its reach. Um, even though it doesn't grant any bonuses, and at first glance, looking at something like the um, Battlemaster may seem like a better idea, we're going to get around that and get those bonuses from the Battlemaster still, but I wanted to focus on the cavalier class and which um, which feature of the Cavaliers class? Well, most we... of them are fantastic, but um, even so, people I think people get caught up on the Cavalier because they think they have to have a mount. They have to be riding on a horse. It sounds like what they're supposed to you be doing. You don't have to be. 
it's only a feature that encourages you to, but you never you can, have you to. You can be a walking cavalier. You could be a very well, very well be a walking cavalier. And I had a character who would like defended their their wagon of their pie wagon who was a cavalier. And essentially the mount was the the pie wagon and we had rules that had set up hit points for the pie wagon and things like that. And so I was making it so attack rolls were had disadvantage against it and using the cavalier features still that give you mount stuff, but in a creative way that sort of still furthered the characters like keeping the pie wagon safe and also being able to defend it. And then I also learned um, about how great it is even when there is no mount involved. Um, you get a bonus proficiency out the gate at third level. Um, animal handling, you know, seems mounty. But there's also history, insight, performance, or persuasion. If you don't want to like do that, maybe you want to do performances with your pole arms or whatever. You want to be able to persuade better or uh, gain insight into your enemy's movements or uh, recall um, the history of a noble as you're pulling into town, you know, and conversing with them, right? As a whole, as a soldier or whatever that you are, right? It doesn't matter. Uh, get, but it's just a flexibility that gives you some extra proficiency, um, which is an a nice edge or an additional language um, if you want an extra language and you're pretty skilled at already you feel um, then there's the born to the saddle feature which many people feel puts them into a corner for having to have a mount but this is pretty much the only mount feature that you get and and it's and you don't feel like you're losing anything no. by ignoring it I, I don't feel like you are but you can always pick it up at some point along the way if you mm -hmm. if the the game and this is not the only thing you get at third level. This is just an extra boon. You could ignore right. this and still have a very solid subclass. Cool. Like, it, we are going to ignore this unless... But sure. I think just reading it out is a good thing. It's just an advantage on um, saving throws made to avoid falling off your mount. Um, you can land on your feet when you fall off your mount and descend no more than 10 feet. Um and not incapacitated. So just ways where you prevent yourself from taking falling damage yeah. or One, being... And knocked all, prone or exactly, whatever. Exactly, right? and I don't know. I I'd, I'd be trying to ask, and if there was other situations that had me being knocked off anything, whether that feature would allow me still to make a save to land on my feet mm -hmm. rather than. Oh, it does prone. specifically say mount, but sure. I'd make a case of your DM if you really want to focus on something else. Depending what the situation was, maybe. And then finally, mounting or dismounting a creature costs you only five feet of movement rather than half your speed. So That's cool. now I'm imagining piggybacks. This is a piggyback warrior. I have a little halfling that piggybacks on his Goliath friend's shoulders and pokes them from 10 feet away. But, again, that's maybe bending the rules a little bit too far. But I love that idea. Uh, just it, The fact that it doesn't say mount, dismounting or dismounting a mount, it just says mounting or dismounting a creature. So you could really just be hopping on your allies or hopping all over the enemy and still have, not taking up half your speed, but just really being a nuisance uh, that way, which I think is quite fun. But then the core feature I love about... Um, the Cavalier, uh, especially at third level, is the Unwavering Mark. And this doesn't require a mount. This is just a very cool fighting feature that almost gives you a Hunter's Mark vibe, maybe, but less sort of damage-oriented and more protecting-oriented and sentinel. And that idea of the sentinel uh, is we've sort of tried to carry throughout this whole character-building process. Um, so essentially, at third level, again, so this is now three features you have at third level. You're bonus efficiency, you're born to the saddle, and Unwavering Mark. Um... When you hit a creature with a melee weapon attack, which could be up to 20 feet away, uh, you can mark the creature until the end of your next turn. This effect ends if you're incapacitated, blah, blah, blah. Uh, while, it's within, while it is within 5 feet of you, uh, a creature marked by you has disadvantage on any attack roll that doesn't target you. So that does force you to be up close to it, but 
Um, in addition, if a, a creature marked by you deals damage to anyone other than you, you can make a special melee weapon attack against the marked creature as a bonus action on your next turn. You have advantage on the attack roll, and if it hits, the attack's weapon deals an extra damage to the target equal to half your fighter level. So now, essentially, you mark it up to 20 feet away, and it tries to range attack someone else or hit someone else, and if it does, you can immediately on your next turn make another bonus action attack from 20 feet away. So it's just a way that you can really turn the tide against like forcing them to target you uh, rather than hit your enemies or just get in some extra attacks from up to 20 feet away, which I think is quite cool. Um, regardless of the creatures, uh, number of creatures you mark, you can make the special attack a number of times equal to your strength modifier, uh, and you gain all expended use of it when you finish a long rest. So there is a limit to the amount of times that you can um, hit people with this special attack, but there's no limit to the amount of times you can mark a creature, which I think is quite interesting. You know, there's um in the back of the DM's guide in the action options, there's a optional rule for marking targets for everybody. And it's interesting, like, actually, I like the way the Cavalier one's written up. I've never liked the one in the optional rules, um, which is, to be honest, even a little bit uh, difficult to, to understand. But essentially, when a creature makes a melee attack, uh, it can also mark its target. So when you, you know, you swing, you, whether you hit or miss, uh, you can say, oh, and I'm going to mark this target and then until the end of your next turn uh any opportunity attack that you make against the marker so that you think they're going to run away you then get advantage and i sort of think well gosh shouldn't we just like every attack then just say oh and i mark my target because it doesn't cost you anything and then you're going to get an advantage if it tries to to run away from you um, and here's the other thing, that opportunity attack won't expend your reaction. So you, it still counts as a reaction. Um, but it, uh, it allows you still to have another reaction. Like if you could mm. cast, theoretically you could cast like feather fall or some other reaction thing. You can't make two opportunity attacks, but it doesn't, so it's sort of like, it was always yeah. one of those things in the back of the game's guide where I was like, I don't play with Mark for like. But why in the doesn't game. everyone do that? If that's exactly. exactly the way it's written, is sort of like okay. Well, every time we attack, we're going to mark mm. them, and then we'll get a free opportunity attack that doesn't burn my reaction. I think I wouldn't allow that at my table, but look, just looking at the Cavalier, there's so many things from that that are almost reflected. Even that idea of not expending a reaction to see at 18th level, you can make it all the way there. Where in combat you get a special reaction that you can take once on every creature's turn, except yours, almost like a legendary action, if you will. Uh, you can use the special reaction only to make an opportunity attack, and you can't use it on the same turn that you take your normal reaction. So now you can be hitting people 20 feet away with reaction opportunity attacks every single creature's turn, you know? And so you can be pulling off five or six opportunity attacks if you really set up that feature well. But that's way, 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 way down the line. Um, but, I mean, if you if you want a better look at what the, the, um, the Cavalier can do, I'd recommend reading it. Uh, I believe it's from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. It's a very powerful subclass, yeah. and I think a lot of people ignore it because they think they have to have a mount, and you don't. So, so our Cavalier build idea, though, we start we start with a bugbear. A bugbear. Um, and why do we start with a bugbear? Well, our concept going into this was to get as much reach as physically possible, and just looking at the bugbear traits, one of their most notable 
uh, is the long-limbed feature. Right. Which, when making a melee attack on your turn, your reach is five feet greater than normal. So now, with our polearm, our cavalier bugbear has got an attack range of 15 feet. Mm. So his melee attack is as far as our fisherman's range attack. Mm -hmm. That's right. He can... So our fisherman can throw a net 15 feet, and our bugbear with his bug polearm can, pole can hit poke, people 15 can, feet away. Yeah, so they're standing next to each other. They could basically hit the same target. Exactly. Which is just makes you think about how strange the net is as well, just as a Well, and, and, and the polearm as well. I mean, like, how's, how's this polearm that's... But we're not even done. <laughs> I know this is not even the end. We're not. It's it, it's going to go farther. Folks. It's go farther from this. Um, and the next step is picking up a feat. Now, there's a couple feats that I think are uh, notable when taking this. So such this as would the be Sentinel like feet this would probably be master feet. right. So we've got a few feats to go through here, really. Mm. Um, so which would be the first one you take? I think fourth level. Fourth level. If you really want to double down on getting your range, I would take the Martial Adept feat, which lets you pick up, I believe, two um, maneuvers from the Battlemaster right. list, which is why we didn't originally take the Battlemaster, because we wanted some of those Cavalier features, and, though, and we didn't have to sacrifice the key attack maneuver here, which is the Lunging Attack maneuver, right? Um, which is when you make a melee weapon attack on your turn, you can expend one superiority die to increase the, your reach for that attack by feet, five feet, and you can also add some extra damage to it. And so now, a couple times, I believe maybe two times, two, three times, I'm not quite sure uh, the wording on the martial adept feet, but you can make an attack up to 20 feet away, which is farther than you can throw a net in the game. But just standing from where you are, count, like, try and figure out how far away 20 feet truly is, because that is a terrifying distance to be able to poke something with a, a pointy stick, you know, like polearm is. Um, so you only gain one superiority die uh, with the feet. Ah. So that means you can basically only do this once per short rest. But you just go, take a deep breath in and lunge 20 feet. You lunge and make a 20-foot yeah, exactly. melee attack. Which is crazy. crazy I mean, crazy, I think, crazy, what, crazy. Thorn Whip is like a long-range melee attack? Maybe the whip reaches that far. A regular whip might reach No, a whip only has five feet. Is it really? Yeah. And thorn, the, the thorn Whip's a long-range. I believe, yeah. Thorn, the Thorn Whip cantrip That's has a spell. Like a range. Yeah, but that is a ranged attack, you know? It's it's a melee attack. Oh, is it? Thorn wow. Whip. But, yeah. um, like, this is just a literal a melee weapon. No yep. magic involved. Nope. This but is you've managed polar, to baby. poke something up to 20 feet away by lunging as a bugbear using this long pointy stick. And then I suppose then there is the but you, so, so most of the time you're 15 foot, 15 foot, 15 foot, 15 foot. But once in a or while, you might be like, okay, this is a chance for me to use my superiority die. Mm. Um, and so I could use the superiority die on a reaction then, right? Like if I had the sentinel feet as well. And something moved within twenty feet of me, I could burn my superiority well, die no, and like poke no, it. And and you'd have to be your DM would have to be generous with that because you can expend your superior, uh, superiority die to make an attack on your turn. Right. So I couldn't really do it as a reaction. So it has to be your turn to do the twenty turn. feet. But that's just more of a novelty thing that we like. But uh, the real way to game this system and make it absolutely insane is by taking the polearm master feet. And the polearm so master this, feet. So this you take this as uh, your broken. eighth level ASI. Sixth level. Uh, fighters get one at fourth, uh, sixth, and eighth okay, level. Okay, so we got okay. Which is another boon from being a fighter. Um, 
But if you really, if you want to get that 20 feet attack, you can take that. But really, that's not necessary to the insane build. Um, I'd take Polearm Master Feet as the ultimate one if you're not worried about getting that 20 foot reach. And um, its first thing is when you take the attack action with a Glaive, Halberd, Quarterstaff, or Spear, you can use your bonus action to make a melee attack with the opposite end of the weapon. Yeah. Um, So you get a second, you get a bonus action attack. You become a bit like a. You could be saving your bonus action for that mark attack or whatever that you might have or your other. The stuff is a bonus action that whatever you may have, like your second wind or, or I'm not right. sure if that's an action, but so you, um, yeah. yeah, the thing about the polearm master then is you don't want to waste that bonus free bonus yeah. action it's just given you, right? Exactly. But the main feature here is that when you are wielding a glaive, halberd, pike, quarterstaff, or spear, which is most reach weapons, other creatures provoke an opportunity attack from you when they enter your reach. So anything enters a 15 foot radius of you. Opportunity attack. And, opportunity attack. And then we think back to our 18th level feature as our cavalier. And, and that's not just once per round. That's everything that comes in there gets a poke. Well, you only have one opportunity attack, typically. Okay, but, so I'm just saying, it's just the one reaction. You burn the reaction, that's it. But now you can make opportunity attacks when things enter your reach. But now think about that when we talk about the 18th level feature again. You can get a special reaction that you can take once on every creature's turn except your turn. You can use a special reaction only to make an opportunity attack. That's all the wording, not that whenever something leaves your reach, but when you make an opportunity attack. And so now, every turn, when anything enters a 15-foot radius of you, you can make an opportunity attack right. against it. Then that's that's the Cavalier. And that's the Cavalier, 18th yeah. level, as your original so defender so you, you doesn't It doesn't matter now how many... The fact that you've already used a reaction as an opportunity attack, the class feature allows Gives you, you a permission free to every keep single making... Round opportunity attacks on everybody's turn mm-hmm. that moves into 15 your 15-foot exactly. reach. And so anything within 15-foot moves, Anything tries boom. to run by you, anything tries to get past that space at all, boom. You can hit it. So only when it's entering that space? When it's entering, exiting. Um, okay. I believe there's another way. I, 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 I'm I, not quite sure. I think the sentinel feat is when it even tries to move within your reach, but that might be me reading into things too much. So, yeah, but, that's, that's oh wait no 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 here the 10th level feature from cavalier here right here um at 10th level you become a master of locking down your enemies C- creatures provoke an opportunity attack from you when they move five feet or more while within your reach right so if they come into your range if they exit your range or if they move within your range you, you get to poke it and if you hit a creature with an opportunity attack the target speed is reduced to zero until the end of the current turn and they'll get stuck in that space yeah. so by 10th level a 10th level cavalier bugbear with the right feats. Now, this is going to mean that they're not going to have the best attack bonuses and things. Well, you they're... can still get a fairly decent one. Sure. You're going to pour it into strength. Right? Yeah, you're, you're going to pour this all into strength be, and you'll constitution. Be, you'll be plus three in strength um, to hit, plus your proficiency bonus. So it won't be terrible. I take the two, or no, what, uh, great with, weapon master. What, I take, what, uh, what, or defense if you want some better AC. But typically, your things are going to be out of your range if you can pull this off right. Yeah, you're just gonna poke the heck out of everything. I mean, make sure they can't get close to and you. And this this gives you a lot of dice on the table. Hmm. I mean, anything that gets into that space, you just poke, 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 poke. Well, okay, you can only take that extra super reaction at 18th level, which is way, way up there, and most things never get there. But by 10th level, once per turn, while anything tries to move within a 15 foot radius of you, you can poke it and stop it from moving. Now, this is very similar to the Sentinel feat, which is why I feel it's almost less important to have. Um, but essentially. The, the feature itself from um, Cavalier means that anything poked by you um, is, like, stopped in its tracks, right? 
where the sentinel feat does typically a, a very similar uh, thing. Uh, right. I'm just yeah. going to pull up this so it, it, real quick. So, you know, creatures provoke opportunity attacks even if they disengage. Mm. That's the main advantage here is if even if they try to disengage, you can still hit them, which is I think the core reason you should take this is because people will still try to disengage. But regardless of that, you can poke them. And the other thing about Sentinel, which is interesting, is when a creature within five feet of you makes an attack against a target other than you, you can use your reaction to make a melee weapon against and I, again, here's as a DM, or if I'm making this character, I'd be wanting to talk and say, okay, the reason that says within five feet typically is because that's your reach for a melee weapon. I would make an argument that for our bugbear, his sentinel opportunity should be 15 feet, right? Creature within 15 feet of you targets. I mean, that would be it, absolutely crazy. That'd be crazy, you right? That. You could but use your reaction also, to make mm. a... Basically, yeah, so it just would increase the number of triggers for your opportunity attack. If they move, if they attack, if they come in, they come Pretty out. Pretty much if they do anything. If they do anything within 15 feet of you, they get stuck with the pointy end of your pole Stick. arm. Yeah, and they're going to have a hard time getting out of there unless they have Misty Step or can and somehow teleport Here's the craziest thing. If, if, I was, if I really had ooh, ooh, a big pole arm. And then there's a feature. Arm, okay, we'll get back to that. I'll let you finish If I had first. a really big pole arm like that, and you actually got right up beside me, trying to hit you with it in any sort of meaningful way when you're really close is is nearly impossible. Well, like, you could choke it up so you you could hold. Well, the, yeah, or you like animals. hold it like you know. For those of you out there familiar with with ice hockey, you know we could do the whole cross checking sort of thing. I could sort of hold the the stick and like sort of hit you with it in the face or something but that's almost what they imagine with the bonus action attack i suppose but even that like pole arms are really long and they've got this big heavy sort of pointy bit at one end of it they're a really funny funny looking weapon they're they're really not designed for this sort of stuff i mean it's fun in D D to be able to do that they're really designed to sort of be set against you know charging uh, mounts, which is actually funny to put a, one in the hand of a cavalier. It's really the anti-cavalier weapon, the anti-cavalry weapon. Um, so, but hey, D and D doesn't doesn't worry about things like that, mm. fortunately. Now, I suppose then there's the question of what about spellcasters? What about spellcasters that could just teleport out of my reach? Then we look at a feat called the Warcaster feat. And the warcaster, or sorry, no, sorry, not the warcaster. The that's something saying, else. That's, but the the um, I think it's the mage slayer feat, which is when a creature attempts to cast a spell, you when, can make an opportunity attack against them. Right. Mage slayer. When a creature within five feet casts a spell, use a reaction to poke them. Does it say opportunity attack or reaction to poke them? Reaction. But like, does it say make an opportunity attack, hmm. or not? It says you can use your reaction to make a melee weapon attack, which is essentially what an opportunity attack is. But uh, when you damage a creature that's concentrating, the creature has disadvantage, and you have advantage on saving throws against uh, spells being cast the, within a few feet. The negative you. parts of this is that you're typically going to be 15 feet away from something. So you're or trying, to, you're trying to add but the one more trigger. So not only trigger, if yeah. they attack, if they move in, they move out, and now if they cast, if they do anything, they get poked. Exactly. And you so do. now there's nothing they can do except get poked by you, by your little stick. Yeah. Anything they do, they're going to get poked this and stopped a, in This is tracks. like the most annoying bugbear ever. He's just mm -hmm. poking everything all the time. But again, you only have one reaction. 
in this situation, um, the cavalier feat does allow you the other opportunity attacks. Well, the cavalier 18th level. Uh, 18th feature, level yeah. would love you multiple of these. So you're still, I mean, you're still limited by the, the fact that you only have one reaction per round. Mm. Um, so... I think then we move the discussion to what polearm do you choose? Because there are a couple choices that you could make from your sort of from different perspectives on what you want to have as your polearm. There is the glaive and the halberd, uh, which are the exact same mechanically. There's literally no difference between them. They both cost 20 GP, deal 1d10 slashing, weigh 6 pounds, and have the heavy reach and two-handed property. There's no difference between either of them, which is... Interesting that they both exist if neither sure. are different at all. Well, I mean, but. look, if you if you do like um, like Travis Willingham did on uh, Critical Role. When if you yeah, want to rename it something called like a falchion or whatever. Right, so he just looked at other swords and was like, I just want to call it something else. And But that was great because then everybody in the world suddenly seemed to know what a falchion was. Um, I say do the same with your party. Like go and say, okay, this is a pole axe or this is a... Uh, a bill or this is a partisan or a pike well the uh, pike does exist does it exist it's it's a d10 piercing which is its main difference it's cheaper uh but otherwise feature wise it's the same um you know cheaper but way heavier way 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 heavier it seems bardiche i mean there's it just i'm just doing a quick google here and there's you know there's lots of different sort of the difference on them is is the end part of of it what it's shaped like mm. um so yeah go find something cool that fits your character um, and just rename one of those pole arms that fit with the polearm master feet and double down with that many people think they have to take the lance if they're a cavalier or something like that because it just works better when you're mounted but really forget the idea that you need a mount and forget the idea that you have to have a lance and you have to be a knight in shining armor who is all righteous, you know, because you could just be some pie seller defending his wagon or you could be some annoying bugbear who can poke you from 15 feet away, you know? There's there's plenty you can do with the cavalier feet and I think it's overlooked far too much for how powerful and how versatile it is in combat, how much it can it really hold its own. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, again, in the idea of trying to make interesting characters to put on the board, um, you know, I think we overlook fighters sometimes because fighters sound boring. Um, but a fighter like this, this is a this is a crazy cool fighter with a really special ability that makes you a, an amazing asset, uh, especially if you're playing a game, a tactical game. Um, where you've got minis and you've got a map and you can, you know, really bring this in. Theater of the mind might be harder to take full advantage of all of these things a little bit because you're going to have to keep reminding the DM how far you can reach and what you can do. But, um, but yeah, I think if you've got a tactical map, build yourself a bugbear with a polearm. Mm. Fun. One more reach weapon, which doesn't qualify for the polearm master feat, but you said it and I dismissed it, but the whip is a reach weapon. Just let you know. So if you want a finesse reach weapon, go for the whip or the whip, whip, whip. Yeah, it's a, an extra five foot reach with your whip if you're a bugbear. Mm, 15 foot finesse weapon. Plus you get like a sneaky attacker f feature from your bugbear. So if you really want to go for that assassin build, try a assassin bugbear with, with a, a bugbear whip. Bugbear assassin whip. Yeah, because you get an extra 2d6 on the first round when you surprise it, which is a 46 with your assassin crit. <laughs> I 
They're 10 feet away with a finesse weapon. 15 feet away with a finesse weapon. That's crazy. Yep. 15 foot finesse. But you're going to be surprising people when 15 feet away when you're hiding. Yeah, when whips are really like noisy. You know what I mean? Like. That's a very surprising. Well, the thing is like people like, people think like, yeah, I don't know. Like. You it's the same as a dagger. Why not? Like, it's just a better dagger. To really, is the way I think in, about in, it. In a real world, like to get a whip going, you got to sort of like you got to throw it back before you can throw it forward. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, um, I don't know. Yeah. So you I mean, get... if you do want steeds, there there are many options out there, and I try and find something weird and cool that if you just have a mastiff or a pony or warhorse, that's whatever, or a camel or an elk, whatever, right? Yeah. Well, it depends on what but you're doing. why if you're not doing get a, a giant frog? Well, yeah. I mean, if you're playing a fun... feel like a bullywug or something. Yeah, or, high fantasy know. game. I mean, heck, if you're playing a if you're playing a, a bugbear, you're already in a pretty yeah. out there game. But I think, I mean, given events the last few weeks, um, D&D's definitely moving in a direction where we're not we're no longer thinking like, okay, well, you can't play that race because that race is evil. I think those days are firmly dead I, and yeah. buried. Um, so yeah, I think there's any opportunity now, if you want to play something like a bugbear again, as long as it's high fantasy, it's a game where bugbears fit in. Um, yeah, you, you can come up with a story of why you're a good bugbear and that people have maybe even have seen good bugbears before. Now, maybe some people don't still don't buy that you're a good bugbear, but you can prove to the world that you and your pole arm is making the kingdom or whatever a better, better place. place. Yeah. <laughs> Although... A bugbear riding on the back of a giant frog with a, a giant toad, yeah. a giant toad with a with a pole arm is is a that's is a, a far frightening way sight. To it's, it's, people. I think it's really hard. I think for a lot of the average farmer to see that hopping across his field and not like and not have some sort of slightly racist reaction. It's just you know, it's not every day that you see a fifteen foot. I'm not saying it's it's okay that he does that. He's got to sort of, you know, he's got to work to improve himself to be, you know, more accepting of these sorts of things. But I can, I can appreciate his, you know, his small town, small minded shock, you know, real rural country bumpkin. And oh, there's another bugbear on the back of a giant toad. Hope he's not coming to poke me with that thing. Hmm. Maybe if he, maybe he's a good farmer. Maybe he does stop and say, howdy stranger. Bugbear's how you doing? And they like, you know, they hit it off. Maybe they become friends. Who knows? Maybe it's our fisherman friend from earlier. <laughs> if you, although another weapon, if you want to go with that fisherman like, idea, why wanna, not read I know skin the back a whip story of fish, how, I want to know the backstory rod. of how the fisherman and the bugbear get to know each yeah, other. That's a very good question. If you want another weapon for your fisherman, though, get a whip and call it a fishing rod. Yeah, you had an interesting halfling build with that the other day, mm. which I thought was a really cool idea. Fly fishing. Rogue paladin. Um... Often I find, because the Halfling Lightfoot build, the idea of hiding behind one of your party members and then making a sneak attack from that space with a melee weapon is really hard because in theory, as soon as you move out of hiding, you're no longer an unseen attacker and you lose your unseen attacker mm. bonus. So if you're trying to get your sneak attack thing, you, well, you still get it because you probably got your your buddy next to buddy, you you'll get the you'll get the sneak attack bonus but you may not get the unseen attacker advantage right so the idea of how do i how do i attack from behind my reach guy. weapons well typically yeah i mean i would normally say like hand crossbow or like a small bow you're shooting between his legs or something like you know there's a way the to whip maybe is do just it. a fun way to but do the, it, you know? a whip or like with like a fly rod type idea whip idea yeah you just sort of cast around them so like, the whoosh. fact that it's still finesse 
yeah makes it perfect for a, a wannabe halfling rogue who can hide behind their friends and still make uh, unseen attack exactly and it does the same damage as a dagger so i don't know why people aren't taking it i mean the only advantage is that <laughs> people can throw their daggers. daggers nobody nobody like makes daggers their, their primary attack weapon hmm. yeah, well some people do. some people only have daggers i say replace it with the whip i mean it does require you to have proficiency with it but why not you know yeah. pick up a level in fighter or or whatever and get proficiency with the whip you know pick up a, a background that gives it to you or something like that yeah right um well i think that's that's, that's all we had to a talk big about today, bucket of but... weird for you there yeah. folks uh nets pole arms fly fishing rods bugbears uh sea dwarves uh i hope this week that somewhere in our big bucket of weird we found where it gave you something that's inspired you inspiration you found something that you now want to look up an inspiration point or two um get out there build yourself a crazy weird character for your next campaign talk to your dm uh about making them weird or take a a character you've already gotten getting weirder with that character Mm. uh character change is a thing uh evolve move them forward make interesting characters Mm. yeah you don't have to be edgy to be cool yeah, and that's it. It don't make your backstory that you're you're an orphan. Honestly, it's almost more rare if your parents survived. I, I have a, I have a crazy idea for um, a a character's backstory, uh, where the the characters like from an actually rich family, and I know I make it, you sort of like oh well that's you know we don't want to wreck the game. Um, but she doesn't actually need to have like that much money on her. It's still the fact that she's comes from money and that she's got like out there, like really rich parents. Um, that's the fun idea that, you know, there's somebody who can, who, you know, is in an NPC in your background, which is your parents who are loving and rich and supportive. That's crazy. Nobody makes that backstory. That's Mm. just like, that's just nutballs. Yeah. Consider, yeah, pick up a copy of Xanathar's and roll on the random background tables. Give it a try. Yeah. Make a character even if you're never going to play them. We've done that God knows how many times. 200 but. times. Do we have 200 characters at this point on D&D Beyond? Char- we do in D&D Beyond. Yeah. I, only because of D&D Beyond. I don't think I would have been able to write 200 character sheets. And here's the other thing, folks. Like, I think it was an article with or an interview with Chris Perkins, perhaps. And he was talking about, as a kid, the idea of um, D&D and Lonely Day fun. The idea of that, that you've got to, you don't have any friends around to play with, but that doesn't mean you still can't play D&D. This, whether it's reading modules and adventures or coming up with your own or drawing dungeon maps or building characters. Um, and I know loads of people who's, who play D&D because they just want to play, build a character, play them once, and then they want to build another character. And that's fine too. Like, you know, there is, as you once famously said, no right way to play D&D. That's right. There's only wrong ways. Only wrong ways. You can only fail. You're all doing it wrong, unless you're doing it my way. <laughs> well, no, not even your way. Even your way is wrong. My way's Everyone's wrong way is wrong. And that's the beauty of D&D. Yeah. You, you, no matter what you do. No matter um, what you do. That's okay. Yeah. Learning to be wrong is okay. Get out there, have fun mess around with it. We will see you next week. Bye-bye.